Well, good morning. Like Matt said, welcome to 2016. It's kind of tough to believe. Like when you think about it, it's already the year 2016. I don't know about the rest of you, but I still remember Y2K. Do you guys remember Y2K? Remember like the world was going to end. There was something in the computers with the time changing from 1999 to 2000, and people were out in the desert building like these doomsday bunkers to protect themselves from the imminent doom that we were facing. I still remember what I was doing that um, New Year's Eve, but what's really crazy, and I was thinking about this, is, I mean, it's a totally random thought, but kids that were born in the year 2000 start driving this year. That is crazy to me, to think that kids that were born in 2000 start driving this year. But all kidding aside, aside from the 16-year-olds that are going to be on the road this year driving, 2016 looks like it's going to be a pretty exciting year. And that's what the new year always brings. The new year always brings new opportunities, things that we get excited about, things that we want to see happen. We set goals. We have intentions for the year. We want to make this year better than the last year. We're excited about what could happen. And if you're like me, you probably have a list of things that you're excited about. Like when I think about 2016, one of the top things that I'm excited about is um, I, I actually became a father in 2015. And so in 2016, I'm just looking, yeah, see? Cute, man. Those little teeth, you know, and she can bite though. Watch out. But she's a ton of fun. One of my favorite things to do with my daughter is to um, just crawl around the apartment. She's starting to crawl a lot more. And we didn't realize this, but uh, we thought it was a good idea, like when they gave us the option of, do you want hardwood floors or carpet? We we're like, oh, we got hardwood floors. And then, like, you know, we were talking to somebody, they're like, yeah, babies don't really like hardwood floors because they hurt, so usually, like, they don't crawl as soon. So we were like, why isn't our baby crawling? And she was like, probably because she doesn't have any carpet. So we had to create some padded surfaces so she's not afraid to hurt herself. But she's crawling all over the place in the apartment, and I, I just love, like, getting down to the floor, crawling with her, making weird sounds. She mimics me. She copies me. She laughs. It's just a ton of fun. In 2016, I look forward to just kind of watching her grow and watching her experience more and more of life. And you know, as she starts to take her first steps and starts to walk, you know, taking her to the park and letting her run around. I, I, my wife and I both have the impression that she's going to have a really big personality. And so we're excited about that. But we're not, we're not completely sure. You know, as she grows and develops more, we'll see more of that. But we look forward to kind of just seeing her kind of grow and develop more and seeing who she is as a little girl and just watching her experience more and more parts of life. That's something that I'm really excited about for this next year. Another thing that I'm excited about that's on my list is um, just being a part of this church, being a part of Seabreeze. We have a lot of um, things that we're asking God to do in this next year. We, we want God to use us to reach this community. We want God to let us be involved in what he's doing throughout the world. And whenever God gets involved and his power is brought and put on the table, whatever we bring, you know, we bring our talents and our time and our energy and even our offerings, and we bring this to God. But when God gets involved, he exponentially increases things. And what we brought all of a sudden is amplified, and there can be an impact beyond what we could have even imagined. And so I'm looking forward to see what God does in 2016, not only in my life, but also in the lives of this church and in the lives of these individuals and also throughout this community, how God could use us to impact people that we have not even met in this community and then throughout the world. That to me is a very exciting opportunity, something that we're praying about. Another thing um, that I'm excited about for the new year is my father-in-law announced to my um, wife and I that he's going to take our family to Hawaii this spring. Well, I've never, I know, yeah, right. I've never been to Hawaii. So to me, it's like, whoa, this, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited. We're, my wife and I are trying to figure out, you know, going with a, 
a year and a half old. That's how old Olivia will be by then. You know, taking her, you know, what's that going to look like? We already have, I think we have a different bathing suit for every day of the week for her while she's there. You know, we're really preparing, you know, making sure she looks cute when she's in Hawaii. But we're excited about that trip and, you know, just getting to go and explore and be a part of that. But I'm sure you have your own list, your list of things that when you think about 2016, things that get you excited, opportunities, things you want to see happen. And when Jesus talks, when he would teach he would oftentimes kind of reframe our thinking and make sure that we were focused on the most important thing. He he would often kind of be like, okay, this is what's most important to you. This is what you're excited about. But let let me tell you about the real treasure, the real thing in life that you should be most excited about and you should focus on. And he actually tells us something that will really kind of be the make or the break of 2016, something that is the most valuable part of this next year something that should be on the top of our list and we all should pursue. And often when Jesus would teach, he would teach in parables. And so he would tell these stories. And whenever he told these stories, usually the theme, the thing that he was talking about was the kingdom of heaven. And he would say the kingdom of heaven is like this or the kingdom of heaven could be compared to. And simply put, the kingdom of heaven was what God, Jesus, came to bring here on earth. It's God's rule in the hearts of men. So when God reigns in somebody's life, in very simple terms, that's what the kingdom of heaven is. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He came to set up the kingdom of heaven where God would reign in our lives. So he would tell these parables and he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And really what he was saying is, this is what it's like when God reigns in your life. When God is the top thing, he's the authority, he's the one that sets the direction, everything is done under his will and his authority, this is what life is like. And then he would tell a story to teach us an important truth about the kingdom. So I want to focus on two of these parables this morning as we head into 2016. These are found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And it's two parables that Jesus tells that talk about the importance, really the value of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it says. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had bought, he had, and he bought it. So in these two parables, there are three truths that are in both of them that I want to look at this morning. Three things that we can pull out that Jesus uses to communicate it to us, the value of the kingdom, and also the response of those who found it. So that's what I want to look at. The first thing is this. The first truth in these parables is that something is missing. Something is missing. Both men in the parables are on a search. You have the first individual, and he finds a hidden treasure. Now, when Jesus was telling this story, they didn't have a banking system like we have today. For us, money, we have we have coins or we have dollar bills or it's all electronic and it can be tracked and taken care of. And even when you take your money to the bank and you make a deposit, there's some level of security that you won't lose that deposit. There's some confidence we can have there. But in Jesus's time, there was none of that. And so they did have coins and they had some other things, but really money and wealth was more in commodities. So maybe you would inherit something from your family. You would have gold and you would have all these fine jewels, or maybe you would earn a lot, you would accomplish something. And so you would have all this stuff and it wasn't safe to go and put it with the banker because there was no guarantee that you would get it back. So you would take your treasure and you would maybe hide it in your home or you would hide it on your property, somewhere where somebody wouldn't think to find it, somebody couldn't get it. 
So usually what would happen is somebody would have it in their home or they would have it hidden. And then, you know, just kind of the climate of the culture and this, this part of history is that there would be wars, something would happen, or people would have to move away. There would be kind of an invasion and people would be moved to another place or maybe somebody would die and there weren't the best records. And so this treasure that was hidden would be forgotten about. The land would exchange hands, somebody else would become the owner wasn't aware of it. So this first individual, probably he's gotten word that there's a treasure, and so he goes on a search trying to find this treasure. With the second individual, he's a pearl merchant. And so you would imagine that he has years of training and experience, and he knows exactly what he's looking for. He's probably been to the market many times, and he knows how to quickly distinguish between something that's very valuable and something that's fake or just not worth as much. And so he's at the market, and he's probably got a very critical eye, and he's very focused, and he knows what he's looking for. But he's searching for something very, very specific. In both of the parables, both of the men are searching. Whenever there's a search, that indicates that something is missing. If you have everything, you don't go on a search. The fact that they're searching is saying that, okay, something is missing. It's true for us. If we have everything, then we're not going to go on a search. If we have everything, then we're not going to look for something, something to fulfill us, something to satisfy us, something to bring us more joy or bring happiness into our lives. But if you pay attention to people, if you watch the people around you, what you'll realize is that everybody is searching. Everybody is searching for something that will fulfill them. Deep within us, we have an understanding that something is missing, and we're all on a search for something. Now, we carry out this search really under two assumptions, and the assumptions are these. The first assumption is the treasure is here. That's the first option. Or we assume that the treasure is not here. So we operate under one of the two of these. And these are really the difference between a temporary solution and an eternal one. If we operate under the assumption that the treasure is here, then we're looking for something temporary. If we operate under the assumption that the treasure is not here, then we're looking for something eternal. There's, you know, you'll often hear the phrase, um, two things are certain in life, death and taxes. We all know at some point our existence on this earth is going to come to an end. Our hearts are going to stop beating, we're going to stop breathing, and we're going to die. We know that that's going to happen. But within us, we still kind of have this built-in thing that says, but there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something beyond this. We, we all know that there's more than just this life. And so if we just search in this life just what we can get our hands on here and now, then what we're doing is we're trying to find a temporary solution to an eternal problem. See, God's the only one that can satisfy the search. Without him, the search will never be satisfied. But usually what we do is we try to find that fulfillment, that value in something here, something we can get our hands on. And if we operate under the assumption that the treasure is here, then that'll lead to a lifetime of failed searching. One of the examples that comes to mind when I think of this is just our consumer culture. I mean, if you think about our culture, we're consumers, and we don't just consume what we need. We actually overconsume, and we continually acquire more and more and a lot of stuff that we just flat out don't have any need for. But if you think about just kind of a basic understanding of humanity, you realize that we need to consume to live. I mean, we need to eat. We need to clothe ourselves. We need shelter. We need to consume to live. And there are all these varieties of what we can consume. So there's nothing wrong with consuming. God put us on an earth that produces. And so we have options of what we can consume from. But we take it a step further. We don't just consume our basic needs. We consume. And if you really start to ask yourself, well, why do we consume so much? Why do we keep going after more and more and new things? Well, the real reason is because we assume that by consuming, we'll find something that fulfills us. 
We'll be able to obtain something. We'll experience something. We'll add something to our life, something that will make me feel complete, something that will make me feel valuable. There's something I can consume in this life. That's the real root behind our overconsumption. I mean, if you just compare where we live in the world today, not only with the rest of the world, but with all of human history, we have more than not only the rest of the world, we have more going for us than anybody in human history. And we're still consuming more and more. We're looking for something that will satisfy. If we're operating under this assumption that the treasure is here, then really what we're saying is we're saying, if I could just get blank then I'd be happy. We're saying, if I could just get this thing, you fill in the blank with whatever you want. If I could just get blank, then I'll be happy. For some people, they say, if I could just get married, then I'd be happy. If I could just find somebody, you know, and then it would be like Disney movies for the rest of our lives, and it would be amazing, then I would be happy. But then what happens? You get married, and marriage is great, but you're still searching. So, okay, if I could just get more money, If I could just get more money, you know, with money, there's more opportunities, there's power, people like you because you can buy stuff. If I could just get more money, then then people like me. But then what happens? You get more money. Oh, if I could just get a better job. For some of you, it's if I could just have well-behaved children. If my kids would just behave, you know, that's the fill in the blank. Whatever it is. But we operate under this assumption that the treasure is here. I've actually got a clip. um, It's a short clip of Tom Brady um, sorry, I threw the sound booth off. But um, there's a part in the clip, it's with 60 Minutes on CBS, and there's a part in the clip where they're um, talking to him. And even, I know some people don't like Tom Brady because of the whole deflate gate thing that happened last year. Um, overlook that, because in this clip, um, it's pretty revealing. Um, he he kind of reveals this, this kind of search, this internal need for something more. So let's play that clip real quick. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew, I wish I knew. The reality is, is that everybody's searching. And if we believe the treasure's here, what's gonna happen is either What we're aiming at is either going to keep eluding our grasp and we'll never get our hands on it, or as soon as we grab it, it'll change and it'll become something else. So that brings us to the second point. And the second point is this. Something is found. In both of the parables, something is found. Something is found that satisfies the search. Both men come across a treasure, something that they're looking for, something that is so great that they're willing to give up everything and to do it with joy in order to get that treasure. Now, what's important for us to remember is that when Jesus tells these parables, again, he's saying this is what the kingdom of of God is like. This is what it's like when God reigns. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so when he says this and he talks about this treasure that satisfies the search, what he's saying is he's saying the ultimate treasure that satisfies the, the search, the great find in life, the greatest thing you could ever find is himself. That's his point in this parable. This is what it says in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, two of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It says this, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Look what it says Jesus does in this passage. It says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
See, the cause of the great search, the, the reason that we're searching to begin with is because we've separated ourselves from God. We all have declared independence from the one who made us. We've said, you know what? I don't want to live under his rule. I want what I want, and I'm going to go after that. That's the cause of this great search. And because of that, death has entered into this world. And we all see that, okay, death is looming on the horizon, but there's got to be more to life than this. And so what Jesus does is he comes and he enters into this mess that we've created. Because we don't think about it like this, but if God is the creator of life and the source of all that is good, then what happens when you say, I don't want God? Well, what you're really saying is, I don't want life and I don't want all that is good. You've separated yourself from the source of life, the creator, and the one who brings good things into our lives. So what Jesus does is Jesus comes, enters into our mess, and he saves us from a lifetime of failed searching, going after temporary solutions. And he gives us the eternal answer to our problem. He says, okay, even though you made this mess, I'm going to reattach you to God. I'm going to take this thing that you've done, and I'm going to make it right. Jesus is the end of the search, and he's the beginning of a new life. He's the end of the search. He's the only one that can fulfill it. He is the great find. And then when we find him, we receive a new life. This phrase in this passage, these two words when it says eternal life, those are actually pretty interesting because there's another story where Jesus is interacting with a man and Jesus actually uses eternal life and the kingdom of heaven interchangeably. He uses them almost as synonyms. So what he's saying is when you decide to follow Jesus, Jesus becomes your authority, you enter into the kingdom, and at that moment you receive eternal life. This is not something, you know, when you die. It's not like, okay, well, we live, life is hard, and then we die, and then we get eternal life. No, it's okay. Right now, in this lifetime, I can experience all the treasures of God's reign over me. And in the same time, I can experience life the way that God intended, something that will be fulfilled and perfected for all of eternity. I mean, what an amazing offer. I mean, to pull us out of the situation, to end the search and say, hey, I'll give you life and life the way that it was intended to be lived, and you'll get the greatest thing going, which is the creator of the universe, the source of life, the source of all that is good, reigning over you, being your authority, your guide, leading you through this process. I mean, what a gift that Jesus gives. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the search. This brings us to the third point. And that is this, something is required. The two men in both of the parables, they made the discoveries of their lives. They made a treasure, they found a treasure that was worth giving up everything for. And what did the treasure cost them to get it? It says that they sold everything. They gave it all up. Now, what happens if you sell something? If you own something and you sell it, what do you lose? You lose the right to do with it whatever you wanted. Well, that's what the point that Jesus is making, the point he's making is when these two individuals, they went and sold everything because they wanted to get the treasure. See, when we decide to follow Jesus, we are giving up the right to do with our lives whatever we want. That's why in 1 Corinthians, it says this, it says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Again, the point is when you decide to follow God, you are giving up the right. You're forfeiting the right to reign as king to be the authority. You've sold that. And now the one who reigns over you is God. Jesus is now the authority of your life. He expands on this, and he talks about this more in Luke chapter 9, verses, verse 23. This is what he says. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. 
Now, there's two things I want to point out here, because sometimes people think, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, you know, I've either got to do a lot of really good things, and then I kind of earn the right to be in the kingdom, or, you know, I've got to kind of clean up my own life. And once I've kind of cleaned everything up, then God can accept me. But I want you to notice that the passage doesn't say, this verse doesn't say, whoever is perfect can follow me. You know, sometimes we think, if, if I, you know, I'll get my life in order, and then I can follow God. But until I get my life in order, I can't follow God. You know, I kind of got to get this, the past taken care of and get it all swept up. And then, you know, God will accept me. It doesn't say that. Another thing that it doesn't say is it doesn't say everyone who denies themselves and take up, takes up their cross daily will earn the right to be my disciple. It doesn't say that you earn it. This is not something that you merit or that you deserve. You'll never be worthy of what Christ has given to us. That's something that we will never earn. What it says is it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if you want to be part of the kingdom, I have to be king. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to be part of the kingdom, I have to be king. See, simply by saying that we're part of the kingdom of heaven, what we're saying is that we're not king. How can we be a part of somebody else's kingdom and still reign as king? If we are part of his kingdom, he's king. That means he's the authority. That means he's the one that sets the direction. That means that we go to his word, the Bible, and we say, okay, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to interact? How do you want me to use what you've given me? How do you want me to treat other people? What direction should I head? What should I do in this new year, 2016? That's what it means for him to be the king, for him to be the authority. He sets the direction. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're giving up the right to do with our lives whatever we want to do and he becomes king. I want you to notice how in the parable it says that this was done with joy. The man went and he sold all he had and he did it with joy. The reason he did it with joy is because he knew what I'm getting in return is far greater than anything I would have to give up. What I'm going to get as a result of this is so far beyond anything that I have to give up that I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it with joy. I'm going to be excited about it because I can't believe that I get that and this is all I have to do. Because some people hear this, and they look at passages like this, and they say, giving up you know, the right to do with your life, whatever you want, that's, that's too much of a cost. That's too great of an expense. There's no way I would ever do that. But expense, something's really only expensive, depending on what it's attached to. So what I mean is this, like, I've got this bottle of water. Um, I don't know where it came from, but you can get bottled water like this, you know, a couple for a dollar. I don't know. I mean, it's like, what, it's like at Costco, I don't know, you guys might know, it's like you can get a, a pack for like 10 bucks, like 90 or something like that. I don't know, it's insane. But you can get a bunch of these things. They're not worth that much. But if I said to you, okay, I'll sell you this bottle of water. I've taken two drinks out of it. I'll sell it to you for a thousand bucks. Who wants this? Well, you guys are like, that's ridiculous. That is way too expensive for a used bottle of water that you can get for under a dollar, you know, later this afternoon. That, that, that's a ripoff. There's no way. But if I came to you and I said, okay, I've got a friend. He's a builder here in town. He just um, did a new housing development, and he wants to sell one of his homes, brand new home in Huntington Beach. He's going to sell it for $1,000. Everybody in the room, I'll take it. I mean, even if you've got a bunch of homes, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Even if you don't have $1,000, Wait right there. I'm going to go get a thousand bucks. I'll be back in an hour. I'm going to buy that home. Honestly, if I heard about this, I probably wouldn't even give you the opportunity to buy it, <laughs> right? Because I would buy it. You see, if you see the treasure for what it is, if you realize what I'm getting in return is far greater than anything I would have to get up, if you realize that the treasure of God reigning in your life, 
the, the king of the universe, the creator of all, the source of life, the one who brings all things, makes them new, makes them good and beautiful. When he reigns in your life, that's the best thing. When you see that, giving up control of my life, that's a joke. Gladly, gladly, I'll give up anything to experience that in my life. That's what he's communicating to us in this parable. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, you know that what can happen over time, you know, you'll hear a message or something will happen and you'll get all excited. You know, I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with Jesus as king. You know, he's going to be the authority. He's going to reign. I'm going to do life his way. We start out strong, but then over time, what happens? Other things enter in and they rival and they compete. Suddenly, we are kind of off aimed at something else. So I want to give two things that will kind of help us stay focused. Two things as we start the new year. If we're really going to experience this treasure, two very practical things we can do to stay focused on this throughout the year. The first thing is this, how to stay focused. The first one is to examine yourself. When I was growing up, um, I would often hear people say, show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what's important to you. And what they were saying was, you know, we don't do this as much now, but whenever people would write checks, and that was kind of the main way that they would exchange money, then they would keep track of it. And they'd say, okay, I spent this amount on this, and this is what it was for, and they'll keep track of that in the book. They're saying, well, if, if you can sit down and look at where your money goes, you'll realize what's important to you. I think there's a lot of truth in that principle. I mean, if we sat down and we took inventory of, okay, where does my time go? You know, where does my discretionary time go? What, what, what do I spend my time and my energy on? What about my, my thoughts? Where do, my, what do I spend my time thinking about? Where does my money go? If we track these things, what they'll do is they'll reveal to us what's important to us. So we need to spend time. We need to sit down and ask ourselves the tough questions. What, like, what do my actions say about me? What am I getting angry about? If we get angry about something, and that means we're afraid of maybe losing something, which indicates that that's something that's very valuable to us. What are the things that get us upset? You know, if we start to think about this and we start to think about, okay, what's competing with God for that top spot? So we need to sit down and we need to spend time examining ourselves. I'll tell you, just from my own life, my own experience, it's not fun to do. It's really not fun to do to sit down and ask yourself these tough questions. Usually, it's rather humbling because what you thought about yourself, you thought, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus is king, of course. Like, he's the top. But then you sit down and you start to look at these things, and then you run the risk of realizing, oh, what I thought is not true. But if we don't do this, if we don't spend time identifying and then getting back in line, what we're running the risk of is aiming after something, saying this is a treasure, when in reality it's not. We're running the risk of assuming that we're aiming at the treasure of God reigning when we're settling for a temporary solution that will never satisfy. That's the risk that we run if we don't examine ourselves. So the first one is to examine yourself. The second one, second thing that we need if we're going to stay focused is we need the example of others. Have you ever noticed how much we're influenced by other people? I mean, I know we've got the youth in with us today, so they can probably relate to this quite a bit, but, you know, we, we want to be our own person. You know, I want to be my own man. I don't, I don't want to be like my dad. I want to be unique. I want to be independent. I want to be able to stand on my own two feet. I want to be, you know, my own man. I don't, I don't want to conform to anybody else's standards. I, I want to do my own thing, and that's what I'm going to do. I mean, we all claim that we want this, but have you ever noticed that hipsters all dress alike? I mean, have you ever noticed that? I mean, whether we admit it or not, we are in incredibly influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. Their ideas, what they say, their goals in life, what they like, what they don't like, the way that they dress. I mean, just look at hipsters, you know? We are influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. It's one of the reasons that we offer growth groups here at Seabreeze, because we realize that if we're going to stay focused on the treasure, if we're going to experience it for what it is, we need to surround ourselves with people 
who are aiming at that same thing and can encourage us in that. So that's why in these groups, what we do is we sit down and we pull out God's word and we say, okay, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word says I should value. This is how God says I should think about the world. But then where am I at? So do I actually think the way that God says I should? Do I value the things God says I should value? So where am I at? And then you learn some new ideas. People share, well, this is what I'm trying to do, or this is maybe my experience in that area with that. And we learn new ideas about how to get in line with what God says. We learn new things. And then through the process, we start to develop friendships and get to know people, people who can encourage us and people who can kind of follow up with us and say, hey, how are you doing in this area? And then can encourage us, give us examples that we can follow to keep moving forward. You know, for me, I've been a part of growth groups at Seabreeze for eight years. And before that, I was a part of small groups in college, very similar to what we do in our growth groups. And I just have to tell you, I can't think of very many groups that I went to, very many growth groups, where I sat down and I just had like the most profound discussion and I discovered this information that just caused this like great enlightenment and I left changed for the rest of my life. I just had this like, oh, spiritual moment. I, I can't think of any group. I, I mean, I can think of a couple where the discussion was just, man, like I can't, that was great information. But most of the time we just showed up, honestly, and we just sat down and we said, okay, this is what God's word says. Okay, now where am I at? And then people gave some ideas, and we kind of tried to figure out, okay, how can we get more in line? And we talked, and we got to know each other. And then, you know, you go away, and you say, okay, well, am I actually going to practice that this week? You know, I've got some new ideas about how I can kind of live in the kingdom this week. And then you do that, and you come back the next week. You know, it's nothing just like, you know, there's not like, you ever heard of a liver quiver? You know, liver quiver, you just get like this internal like gut sense that like, oh, God's moving in this moment. Like, I've never had one of those in a growth group. But when I look back over my time of being a part of these groups and I think about, okay, the stuff that we've talked about, I can see I'm miles ahead of where I was. I can see that over time, God's taken this information. He's taken these people. He's used them to encourage me, give me examples for how to live it in life. And then slowly over time, week after week, year after year, suddenly I'm down the road and I'm like, I can't even believe that, that I thought that or did that in the past. I can't believe that this is where God's put me now. That's what God does through these groups. That's the reason that we've created these groups because we want people to experience the kingdom for what it is. And we know that they can't do that on their own. They need the example of others to help them do that. One of the groups that we're doing this spring, actually Bevan's gonna be teaching through it on Sunday morning. It's through the book of Philippians. And the title of the study is Peace Under Pressure. And in the Bible, God is referred to as the God of peace. That means that if you live in his kingdom, if he's your God, then peace should be a regular experience of your life. So one of the things that we're going to look at is how can you experience a peace that lasts? How can you experience a peace that just doesn't kind of come and go based on the circumstances? Usually our peace is kind of built around this agreement that you don't bother me, I won't bother you, we'll have peace. Well, how can you actually experience a true peace, a meaningful peace, a peace where you can interact with people in the right way and there's not this like tension, there's not this bristle, a peace with God that nobody can take away? That's what we're looking at in these groups. I mean, what a valuable opportunity to sit down and say, okay, what does God word, God's word say about that? How can I experience that in my life? Who are some people I can get around me that'll encourage me and help me do this? That's why we're offering these groups a, a great opportunity. Um, to prepare for this message, one of the things that I did, um, I did a little bit of research on New Year's resolutions. And uh, one of the things that I um, learned, I learned some interesting things. They, they, 
it's amazing how much we know, how much we study all these different research things that we do. And one of the things that I learned is um, the majority of the New Year's resolutions are around health. The vast majority of them, people want to lose weight, they want to get in shape, they want to be healthier. They want 20, the new year to be better than the last year from a health perspective. And actually, what was interesting is um, still over 50% of Americans set New Year's resolutions, and the majority of those are health resolutions. But you probably don't need me to tell you this, but only 8% of people are successful in their goal. Less than 1 out of 10. But especially if you're a member of a gym and you go on a regular basis, you really don't need me to tell you that. Because you already know what happens. You know, kind of the fall, you kind of get in your routine, you know when to go, you know the, the regular people that you're going to see when you go there. And then what happens January 1? All of a sudden, you're waiting in line for every machine. You know, you had your rotation, your 30-minute workout becomes an hour-and-a-half workout, and you don't even get that good of a workout because you're waiting. Those towels you're supposed to use to, like, wipe off the sweat on the machines, they're out of the towels because they didn't have enough. So now the machines are gross, and there's all these new people. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go at a random time because nobody's going to be there at, like, 2 in the morning because they're open 24 hours. There's even more people there, you know? I mean, you already know this if you go to a gym, that all of a sudden all these people show up. But then what happens mid-January? It starts to drop off. And then what happens come the beginning of February? It's almost back to the regular crew again. And then sometime mid-February or March, it's the regulars again. What happened? I mean, these people, they had a great goal. You know, there's nothing wrong with trying to improve their health. I mean, that's a, that's a good aim, saying, okay, I want to be healthier, I want to be in shape, I want, want to lose some weight. That's a, you know, that's a good thing. Well, what happened? What happened was something else became more important. They decided that something else was more important than that goal that they had set. And so whatever they think is important is what they're going to do. And so they go and they do something more important. For us, it's the same way. When it comes to our faith, we can say, hey, God reigning in my life, that's the best thing. Living in the kingdom and experience the benefits of that, that's the best thing. We can say that. But then over time, if we're not careful, it'll shift. And we'll start to treasure something else. And then if we're not careful, we'll spend another year, we'll start the year and say, this is going to be the year where God reigns in my life. And I, I, I figure it out, and I, I really walk with him, and I get connected. But then if we're not careful, it'll shift, and all of a sudden we've spent the year chasing something that will never satisfy, something that's temporary, and really once we get to the end of it, we realize that was empty. There was no value in that. And we'll miss the treasure. That's why we have to continuously be examining ourselves, saying, hey, what's competing for that top spot? And then we need to be connecting with other people, and we need to be getting encouragement, and we need to be having examples in our lives of saying, okay, this is how I can move forward. This is how I can stay focused on the treasure. If we don't do that, you know, just like with the gym, just like with fitness, something else will become more important. You know, the crowds show up, everybody's excited, and then in a couple months, we're off focused on something else. I've got two next steps for you today. They go along um, with these two suggestions of how to stay focused. The first one is to examine yourself. And so I would encourage you, sit down to start the year and just ask yourself some tough questions. What, what do I spend my time on? What do I spend my money on? What do I think about? This will reveal what's valuable to you. It might be painful. It might be difficult to do. But if you don't do it again, you're running the risk of aiming at something that's not a treasure. And then the second one is to join a growth group. Matt, um, talked about the connection card. On the back of the connection card are all the growth group options that we have. We've got a lot of options. There's actually already 340 people signed up for growth groups. We've got plenty of spots available. We have a large growth group system. We'd love to see you get signed up with the groups. Lots of opportunities for you. So you can choose a group from the back, 
check that box, make sure your information's on the front, and drop it in the connection card, or in the bucket. Again, Bevan, his message on Philippians is peace under pressure. I, I think that is going to be incredibly valuable for us, as we learn how to live a life that is characterized by peace, when stress and worry and anger and fear and all these other things are usually our experience. So I encourage you to get signed up in one of those growth groups. A quick note on Bevan. Um, some of you are aware that before Christmas Eve, I think it was the Tuesday of the week of Christmas, he had emergency eye surgery. So I just want to let you know he's recovering well. He's doing well. He'll be back with us next Sunday starting this Philippians study. So you want to make sure and come back. But you can uh, make sure and pray for him this week just that he continues to rest up and the eye continues to heal. This has been a year of eye surgeries for him. And we're praying that that does not happen next year and that he's done with it. So you can um, just continue to pray that he heals up and then he'll be with us next week. If you'll join me, we will um, close our time in prayer and then our band will come sing our final song. Father, I, um, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for sending Jesus, not um, just for him to kind of help us focus on what we need to focus on, but the fact that he is, you provided an answer to our search. You provided a solution, something that um, can fulfill, something that can satisfy, something that can make us happy. You didn't just leave us on our own to figure it out, but you sent your son to come and be the solution. And then we thank you that he spoke so clearly and that in his teaching, he made it so evident that this is the best thing going. Nothing else compares. It's worth giving up everything to get to experience your reign. So Father, we thank you for that. We ask that as we head into this new year that we would stay focused on that and you would help us to do that. That we wouldn't neglect the need to examine ourselves. We wouldn't neglect the need for other people. But that through those things, we would stay focused on what the real treasure is and come the end of 2016, headed into 2017, we would say, this last year, Christ reigned in my life, and I experienced the joy of being, experiencing the treasure when God reigns. I pray that that would be our experience for this year. We thank you for bringing us here this morning, and we pray that you would bless us as we go. In your name, amen.